When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the rock and roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. With me, as always, Kristen, Kristen Steinerd. Hi, Kristen. That is me. Hello. Hello. How you feeling? Pretty good. It's it's warm. Listeners mm-hmm. don't care, but it's warm. <laughs> no, they don't. They could be anywhere. They could be anywhere. All across the world, we have listeners, uh, or so a website told me once. I wonder where the coldest place we have a listener is right now. If you're cold right now, write in rockhallpod at gmail.com. Truly, please. Uh, We're very excited to have our guest with us here today. Uh, He is many things. I'm prepared to say multi-hyphenate. Ooh. Uh, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Culture writer, professor, author, DJ, podcast host, Oliver Wong. Wow. Hello. Pleasure to be with y'all. Thank you so much for for joining us. Yeah, yeah. My pleasure. Um, Yeah, you, you know, I have to say the first time I saw you was on, and I don't know if we've talked about this on air, but the PBS documentary Sound Breaking. Oh, I don't think we have talked about it on air. I think that was all just uh, chatter off the record. Yeah, but I brought it up to you because we've watched a little bit of it because I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, And that's where I saw it. And I was like, I like what this guy is saying. What is the thing? It's like a documentary series. Produced by George Martin. Uh Uh-huh. Not RR. No, not RR. That'd be kind of awesome, though. Yeah. That would explain why we still don't have a new book. Um, Yeah, because he's... He's, he's, off suddenly producing docu- he's music off producing music documentaries. No, it was uh, it's produced by George, it was produced by George Martin, who was a long time producer for the Beatles, uh-huh. uh, and it is just a in depth, really well made documentary about music. Oh. Yeah, in fact, I think we taped it at a studio soundstage, actually not far from where we're all sitting right now. So, oh shit! Yeah, okay, not too far from here. Yeah, in well, its many parts. Yes. Does each of them have a theme? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, there's a, there's one segment that's just about the way we listen to music. Uh, there's one... Like ep- the modes in which we yes, listen to it. So, right. like, the Walkman, vinyl, From, et cetera. From, you know, or the phonograph to streaming. Gotcha. You know? And then, uh, you know, there's an episode that's about uh, producers, just like, you know, people... Oh, that's why we watch it, because we watch it with the Nile Rodgers. We, yeah, right. Right before we went to go see him. Yeah. He is. He's a fun. He's a fun hang. I hope for in chat. I've never hung with him, but I can just imagine this fun hang. But oh, I he really can talk. Like, like he's yes. such a good talker. Yeah. We saw Sheik, and yes. they were. Uh, he was just. 
He was awesome. His drummer is also a good talker. Though, okay, too. good to know. <laughs> yeah, but Oliver, you are someone who I, I when I was watching, I was like, this guy knows how to talk about music, which is, and I was like, that is perfect for our podcast. Uh, and so the the first thing I want to ask you, and this is the kind of the question that we do always to kind of get us into it, the raison yeah, yeah. d'etre to our <laughs> podcast, is just what you're what you're coming into this podcast in terms of knowledge about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah. and and kind of your thoughts and opinions. And as someone who writes about music for many different publications, it is right. at the very least on your periphery, if not something that uh, you know about with right. some authority. Right. So you know, we we were talking a little bit about this before we started taping, and uh, I mean, there's a couple layers to this. I guess I should first kind of pre-qualify or just qualify some of my remarks. Um, I've actually done a gig for the Hall of Fame. This was, I think, maybe about five years ago, where they had a they did a tribute to Aretha Franklin, and um, I was brought out to DJ kind of like the pre-night event uh, uh, as part of that. Um, which is to say, I've been paid by them, so this, ah. this disclosure <laughs> okay. purposes. He's on the he's on the on hall's the payroll. payroll. Um, Let you know, that I've I've had disclosure. friends who and colleagues who've worked with them in different capacities um, over the years. I've I've visited the hall, um, but in terms of what what you and I were talking about beforehand, I think as someone who came into writing about music and thinking about music, not through um, the lane of of rock music or its traditions, but really through hip hop. I think I've always had, like a lot of people who started in hip-hop, kind of a chip on my shoulder towards what we think of as like these kind of classic rock institutions mm. that have always been very gatekeepy when it comes to um, not just hip-hop, but arguably just around black music in general, or at least certain kinds of black music. And I think... Um, Anything after 1960. Yes. Right. Yeah. right. Decent right. representation from <laughs> the early days of rock when right. it comes to black artists, but then after that, it gets uh, spotty, to say the least. Right. So I think I've always approached the the kind of canon making qualities of the hall similar to how I think of the Grammys which is I don't really put a lot of stock into them I don't give them a lot of authoritative um you know what's the word I'm looking for um authority yeah I guess <laughs> that, yeah, maybe that's uh, yeah I should not have turned into an adjective yeah. I don't give I don't see them as a, as a particularly um meaningful authority at least from my perspective as a music writer and a music scholar even though I recognize that to other people it's very important mm-hmm. um but it's one of those things really where one one guy one guy in particular no I think that's probably more than just one because yeah, oh, a lot of I yeah, mean, other guys dads sorry well I you know I, I have a lot of friends and colleagues who are they, they get ballots and so every year you know when the nominees come out and when the voting process is you know social media is just filled with like the same kind of debates over and over yeah which I think are meaningful to a certain degree but again I don't personally put a lot of stock in it mostly because I see the rock um, I see the Hall of Fame in, in similar ways as I see, like I said, the Grammys, which is that y'all never really cared that much about sort of the music and the artists I care for. And so whether you let like us in or not is, is less meaningful to me as a consequence of it. But I totally get why it's fun to argue about because mm-hmm. I understand that canon, like the, the, the act of trying to make a canon uh, and decide around inclusion or exclusion, mm-hmm. like these are inherently debatable topics. Um, you did an Aretha tribute, yes? I was part of the a, a weekend-long week Aretha tribute. This when was back... she th- was alive? Yes, this was back, okay, I think, I was in like... Because there, there, there has been some of my personal drama with the Hall. It's yeah, around well, the Aretha. The induction uh, ceremony this year 
should have had an Aretha tribute because oh. she had died, but there was not one, it which was surprising. It did not have one. Was it a timing? I don't remember. No, because no. they did oh, right, the stupid she, she singles died. category. I mean, yeah. like, no. Oh, oh, I thought you meant, like, was there not enough time in the broadcast? There's always enough time. <laughs> I'm, I am so angry <laughs> yeah. about this. There, there's My no, big yeah. thing lately about that. They did a whole, and I've said this many times, but I will say it one final. This won't be the last time I say it. They did a Chris Cornell tribute. The he year got before. an entire dirge of Black Hole Sun, uh, Black Hole Sun sung by um, Anne, Anne Wilson. Wilson from Heart and, and Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains. And, and the Chains. issue with that is that Chris Cornell's not in the He's Hall of Fame. He's not even in the Hall of Fame. Aretha is the first woman who was ever inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, she, when you look at the history of the Hall's tribute performances after people die... Bowie got one. I mean, Bowie makes sense, but also the fact that like Glenn Frey from the Eagles got one... Wait, and what? And Aretha did not... I do not remember Glenn Frey getting one. Did I see that? Have I ever um, seen that? You did, yeah, it was like Sheryl Crow and somebody else. Uh, it was... That does seem bizarre. Was this when though. all the women came out, like Emmy Lou Harris and? No, that was Linda Ronstadt. Okay, I do remember that one. Yeah, well, that was good. <laughs> you remember it because it was good. You don't remember the Glenn Frey? It was they did like New Kid in Town, and it was just kind of sleepy. Um, now I'm even more angry. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. I just it's just the gall of these motherfuckers. <laughs> like it. it no, I, truly, I mean, like, like it, because my big vision, and I don't really care about the hall until then I start talking about this particular things that make me mad which right. is like my big vision for the whole ceremony this year was like I'm like they're gonna open with this beautiful Aretha tribute which really Beyonce should have been is gonna be there Michelle kind of a... Obama is gonna be there like everybody yeah I think I think your theory was that George Michael would come back from the dead yes. and sing I and knew you were waiting that'd be amazing and sing yeah. I knew you were waiting with her yeah. yes that is with her hologram I, with her hologram I like really believed that they were there was no way they were gonna pass up an opportunity to, you know, A, honor the first woman that they ever inducted, and B, fucking get on the diversity tip a little bit more. Especially given Janet wasn't performing. Yeah, anyway, yeah, that was a big... if I may call it a whoopsie. Wait, now did they think that they had already taken care of it because they did this thing that you DJed five years ago? Well, yeah. So this was at the museum, right, Oliver? It I was Cleveland. Yeah, and yeah. The, and the, you know, I think they had. I remember um, the night that I DJed. I basically was the opener for MC Light, who followed me, and then on the actual night of the event, Shaka Khan was one of the main performers, that and then nice. Aretha came out and sang a couple of songs, which was kind of awesome. As yeah, who's a lifelong Aretha fan, like I'd never seen her live, and even if it was just for like 10 minutes, like I will take those 10 minutes. So yeah. Yeah. But that does seem actually utterly bizarre yes, that they wouldn't have done something. Just also yeah. some very big shade to have Shaka come and perform at the damn hall of fame, considering the non- amount of times that she has also been nominated, including last year and not um, mm-hmm. inducted. Well, I think that actually kind of uh, points to the fact that the museum... That the hall would like her in. The, yes. the museum and then the people who right. do the induction ceremonies are separate entities. Right. Uh, yeah, and the museum, you know, they don't have to induct anybody, so they can invite whoever they want. Right. You know, and they can, right. they kind of get that freedom. But, you know, much like with the Grammys, much like with the Academy, uh, you know, it's the, it's the voting base. Much like America... Ooh, okay. It's the voting base um, that sometimes presents, you know, the challenge to these things, right? So No, I would say for sure. I mean, because if you look at, let's say, hip hop, I think actually the nominating committee has done a decent job. Yes. Uh, but it's when the ballot gets to the voters that we have issues. Right. And to give credit where it's due, Public Enemy, Run DMC, Tupac all got in as soon as they were eligible. They're what we call FYEs, first year eligible acts. 
uh, and that is that was done correctly. Now, then you look at the other three acts that are in, which is Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Beastie Boys, and NWA. It took them about three or four ballots apiece, yeah. which, you know, maybe you could argue they should have gotten in as soon as they were eligible, but they still did eventually get in. LL Cool J, who has been at this point nominated five times, mm-hmm. was nominated back in 2010 when he first became eligible. Yeah. And can't seem to get past that second step. And then, you know, they've put up Africa Bambata once. They put up Eric B. and Rakim once. Uh, and once it gets to the voting body, that's where we seem to have our issues. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I do believe my prediction is that Notorious B.I.G. will be nominated and immediately inducted this coming induction cycle. Tupac got in, right? Yeah, we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, right. He literally he, just said that yes, uh, like did. 10 mm-hmm. seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. I'm yeah. just and FYE. making sure. Yeah. So I I do th- so it it's interesting to see where this is going to go because we're also going to catch up pretty quickly cuz you know B- Biggie is eligible and for then this is cycle. Jay-Z next and year. then Jay-Z is the next so yeah. is it going to be too enticing to <laughs> induct Jay-Z before you get to someone like LL or this entire backlog of hip hop artists that come before that? Because we're, we're rolling up to 94, and then with Jay-Z, it's 95 right. for eligibility. You, well, that would also bring you bring Wu-Tang, right? Into, so Wu-Tang's into, already into eligible. Play. Tribe is right. already eligible. Mob Deep. Um, I mean, you already did a Tribe show, if, if I remember. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, have they been, has Tribe been nominated yet? No. no I, I have mentioned everyone who's been nominated. Right. I think I... I think Tribe will have a harder time getting nominated. I just, I, I mean, I think it will get into this when we get into De La Soul too, but it's just kind of like conscious rap from the 90s, late 80s. It's harder. Just like, I don't think it penetrated old white culture uh, as much. I'm not sure NWA did either, except to piss people off in that in that demographic. But it but. did, in as far as like it became a national name, like NWA because fuck the police was such a sure. big. There was that huge trial and all that stuff, you know. Like they were weren't, and that was like part of the fight for like labeling of the. I think thing. you that, might be conflating no, it with Cop Killer. Was definitely was that was one. the big that was and the then, big free speech show. Ice, ice, killer, ice tea's ice Cop Killer, tea. right? Yeah. Right. But didn't I wasn't wasn't NWA? I mean, I'm sure. I mean, the movie Tipper helped. Gore was upset with, uh, you know, fuck the police. Right. But, I mean, straight out of Compton helped the, the oh, movie helped. But I mean, I mean, like that's that's really what. But got I do NWA think that like, we knew what NWA was, and also Ice Cube becoming like a family friendly movie star. But then why not why not LL, through. whose movie career at this point is has long eclipsed, I think, his musical career. Very good point. So, yeah. But I I think that he, I said this on the on his episode, which is that I think though he has in it's not like Ice Cube I think still because his music career was um, like harder and he was more of a like a gangster than LL was, mm. uh, in spite of you know Mama said knock you out. Uh, I I think that like LL almost people don't think of him as a rapper as much anymore. Right, right. And I don't think necessarily that people don't think of Ice Cube as a rapper anymore, but I think that they 
it's like this weird respect for him having been part, part of NWA, yeah, in part of that, NWA yeah, yeah. back then. I think that that might be the the thing that's keeping LL. Not to get too off tangent here, I would actually give I think Tribe decent odds if at least they get nominated. I think they probably stand a, a pretty good chance because I think of that early '90s generation. Maybe they're not quite at the stature of, let's say, a Biggie who loomed larger than life partly because of his death. But I think someone like Tribe was so universally loved and respected in ways that, again, I would see them probably having an easier shot than maybe even someone like a Daylaw, even though I think Daylaw's qualifications for this, and I'm sure we're going to get into this mm-hmm. in a moment, I think are slightly different than Tribes are going to be, even though they're very much, you know, they, they come from the same clique, of course. But, um, Tribe to me, just, it's like, if you know, if you were to have looked in some random, you know, middle America's CD collection in the ni- in 1993, you probably would have found like The Chronic there and you probably would have found like Low End Theory or Midnight Marauders. Only if, 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 if they had a teenager of a certain age. Okay. I think The Chronic, <laughs> like that permeated everybody. It was on the damn radio. You know what I mean? Like... Tribe never had that kind of like as more like I think Q-Tip as a personality Mm -hmm. maybe broke through more. I mentioned his Budweiser ads from the nineties. Oh, I don't even I don't even remember which those. Were like you don't remember those? Q-Tip did Budweiser yeah. ads. Well, the song, the song, yeah, okay. vibrant thing. Oh, okay, I think okay. Was part of a Budweiser. Yeah, he wasn't chilling. Can't, he wasn't beer. just right, like right. with a beer in the ad, but like I do remember that that was like the first time I heard vibrant thing was like right. Well, I, get, I get what you're saying, Oliver, though, which is that, you know, Tribe was extremely respected and was kind of like a critical darling. Right. Uh, and they are not uh, difficult to love. Right. Uh, kind of across the board. Uh, I think they are, you know, with the way the hall handles hip hop, it's kind of like the biggest, most famous names are the ones that are getting in first and then eventually we will have to deal with like okay where do we go from there as we like get away from the absolutely iconic acts right you know there are also acts that are de- deserving that are maybe we on keep a- clearing out the 60s and 70s just you know we put <laughs> except in for, except for rufus yeah. and shaka khan apparently yeah but, yeah well eventually i think rufus and shaka khan will get in before right. any conscious reference <laughs> From the like, I just because of who the voting body is and the way that like their even awareness of these bands is so. Well, because part of the problem is you're thinking like, okay, now who is every member of Def Leppard who was just inducted now has a ballot. You know, every member of the zombies. Like, now these are the... And, you know, Janet has a ballot. Great, but that's one versus... She has a like single ballot. The 10 people plus I, that I just mentioned. Yeah. You know, and those are the people who are voting. That's the bulk of the voting body is these uh, old white musicians. See, this is why you need to induct Wu-Tang, because then you get eight people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, rest in peace, ODB. But, right, you get eight people with ballots, and then, you know, that begins to move... Shift the demographic a little bit. Yeah. yeah this is like... This is like... Ever- and it's like why the go-go's need to get in it's like we just mm-hmm. need to there you go exactly you know or yeah that's it that's an interesting thing too is that typically black artists it tends to be black or female artists it tends to be solo, solo. artists uh whereas you know you don't have the even like the commodores are not in how about earth wind and fire earth wind and fire is yeah. no they are they, yeah. that's right yeah, okay yeah but you know that was nearly 20 years ago 
and you know, it's yeah, from kind of that era, we've done okay uh, with those groups, but Cool and the Gang, you know, still not in there. And, and I think you know, there's a decent case to be made. Cool and the Gang is not in. No. I also it's just because of the hatred. I mean, like disco and funk. I just think they're also again, you have the thing. It's like people think that they know what rock and roll is. They're like, I know it when I see it. And it's a white guy with a guitar. Full stop. Like, that's what they think it is. Although I think if if a band because the Commodores and Cool and the Gang were both bands that were very popular, huge. Everybody knows who they are. I think that type of name recognition could carry them from the ballot to uh, the grave, and they'll they're not, and you can't no, vote once. No, you're dead. to the class, to the class, Kristen. I I do because I think there are a lot of yeah. problems with some posthumous black uh, artists. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Uh, well, again, it's like Biggie will get in, and then mm-hmm. he won't get to vote. Will right. Will Faith Hill get his ballot? Like, what's gonna? Faith, not, Faith Faith Hill. Jesus Christ! <laughs> That'd be awesome if Faith Hill got Biggie's ballot. Faith Hill got Biggie's ballot. Yeah. Do you think Wu are going to be first year inductees? No, because they've already been eligible. Oh, so they, and they haven't been nominated yet. They have not been nominated. No. So what's what's the acronym? It's so F Y E for first year eligible. Eligible. But then we do right. F Y N for first year nominated. So like, okay. if by the time Wu Tang finally gets on the ballot. I don't we'll happen be. for them when they get on the ballot. I don't, Wu-Tang I don't will know. Get in. You don't. You're think not. You're so? not. You're not positive they would get in on that first. On that first ballot, I, yeah. it really depends well, on who I else is on the ballot. It's going to be in ten uh, years, and by then they'll be like, oh yeah. I think Wu Tang, and I think Tribe, and I think Dela are going to be within the first fifteen hip hop acts inducted. Now we only have six at this point. And we don't necessarily get one every year, right? So we're talking, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into that later. But you know, there's the way I would break it down: the six that we have in now: Grandmaster Flash, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, uh, N.W.A., and Tupac. Right? I think Biggie's going to be next, and then I mean, if you look at the who becomes eligible, you've got Jay Z, you've got Eminem. Eminem. Uh, Outcast became eligible last year. I think they're going to be in the mix. Mm. I think uh, you're going to have to get them in the mix. You're going to have get them in the mix. <laughs> you're going to have to get LL in there at, at at some juncture, right? So that takes us to to ten. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, who comes who comes in that next wave? After and then that? yeah, the wave after that, I think, is going to be Tribe, Missy Elliott. Uh, De La, Wu-Tang, Snoop Dogg. Missy is going to be the first and only woman I think for a long time. Salt and Peppa has a shot. They're going to be that's second. Gonna be, that's I think that's a super up. long yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be third wave. Yeah, uh, I could maybe see Lauren ahead, but is one album going to be enough? Maybe not. I, you know, I mean, she performed in the Nina Simone tribute two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the fact it that was, she showed up at all is, uh, yeah. you know, she's playing the game a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Oliver, I want to know why you picked De La Soul. I mean, I think, let's see. Number one, it's because they're the most formative group in not just my kind of hip-hop history, but just in my musical history period. Um, and I think that for the purposes of talking about something like the Rock Hall, they make for, I think... A, there's a strong case to be made for them to the extent that I'm inclined to want to do it for the reasons why I'm ambivalent <laughs> about arguing about inclusion to begin with. But nonetheless, I think there's a lot of things about De La that make them 
I think, a very attractive uh, candidate for that. And so it's a combination of the personal, but also in taking the conceit of the show seriously, who do I actually think would make, you know, a compelling argument? Um, as opposed to like plucking a far more obscure, you know, um, who does group. your heart say who's in your heart's rock and roll hall of fame? Meaning what? Like, like, like if you could, if you just wanted, like, if you were like this, I think is the most, is the best rapper or rap group alive. Or like, I think this is the best, this is my favorite thing. And oh, I would well, no, Dale, I would still feel, would, would still fulfill that. Right. And I mean, had you not already done a try one, maybe I would have picked them. But again, Dela, they came out earlier. And I think partly because, and I can get into this now if you want. The way I discovered De La Soul is, so I grew up in, in L.A. of the 1980s. And um, at the time, I was listening to a lot of modern rock. Um, there's a radio station out here in Los Angeles, KROQ, K-Rock, which was the, and still remains like the definitive kind of alternative, alternative rock yeah. and modern mm-hmm. rock station, new wave station here in Los Angeles. So I, when I was earlier in high school, I was listening to stuff like Erasure, New Order, Pesh Mode. It's, it's what like my older cousin listened to. Um, I'm Asian American, so it's kind of like required that if you were living in California in the 80s and you're Asian, you listen to modern rock. Um, but K-Rock used to play De La. And not like oh, me, myself, and I. They played, if I don't have this wrong, they played Three is the Magic Number, which is the first De La song I heard. I didn't hear, I did not hear me, myself, and I until later. And I had been introduced to hip hop a couple of years before that. Um, I had a friend from middle school, uh, Joe Man Wong, shout out to Joe Man, who, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, so this would have been around 1986, 87, gave me a cassette tape that he had dubbed License to Ill by the Beastie Boys on one side and then Run DMC's Racing Hell on the other. And I loved that. Like, I played that thing to static. But I was young. I didn't know a lot about music. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that this was like a genre of music. And ergo, if I really liked what I heard, I could go that find other, other things. things. Yeah. Just did never occurred also, to me. Also, what a combo. Like, like Beastie Boys on one side, Run DMC. I yeah. mean, it's just like that is such a sound. That right. is such a like, you right. know. Mm-hmm. Like East 80s, Coast, East uh, Coast, Def Jam, like Def or, Jam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it just never occurred to me that, oh, this was great. Maybe I should go back to Joe Man and be like, dude, hook me up with whatever else sounds like this. Yeah. It just didn't Can occur I have to me. side two? Right. Yeah, right. Well, that, that was side one and two. Yeah. I didn't, we need volumes yeah. three and four at that yeah. point. Exactly. Um, so I, would, I, I didn't really discover hip hop in that point. So then three or four years, well, about three years go by, and I'm listening to K Rock, and then they, st- they start playing um, Three's the Magic Number. I'm like, what is this? Like, who is this group? This sounds really cool. Maybe you can subtract it. You can call it your lucky partner. Maybe you can call it your adjective. But odd as it may be, without my one and two, where would there be my three mates passing me? And that's the magic number. They're sampling Schoolhouse Rock. Right. Yeah. And which is something that, you know, if you had been like, if you were a 70s baby like myself, you would have grown up watching that. And... And I must have read a review someplace about Three Feet High and Rising, which was the group's um, debut album. And I don't even remember where that would have been. But I went, I think, if I, my memory's right, I went to Moby Disc, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was what a record a store. Name, record a store name. in East Pasadena, which is uh, close to where I grew up, and bought the album. This was the summer of 1989 is what when I got this. What format did you buy it on? I bought it on cassette. Cassette. And was instantly smitten. And that album it was not the first album i ever bought but it was the first album that i bought that made me want to listen to everything else that i thought might sound like this and it was really my i mean three feet high and rising was my gateway into hip-hop 
which then became my gateway into becoming a DJ. It was a gateway into what I got interested in as as a student and then later as a scholar. It certainly is what helped launch me into the world of writing and journalism. Like it all really stemmed from that album mm-hmm. um, and from that group. But to bring this back to like our, 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 our core point here, because De La was seen as being like this alternative hip hop act, right? That was how they were yeah. largely mm-hmm. billed at the time, much to their own chagrin. That's why a station like K-Rock would play them in a way where you are not going to hear Boogie Down Productions on K-Rock. K-Rock is mm-hmm. not playing Eric B. and Rakim. Um, they did play White Lines by um, Grandmaster oh, Flash and Melly Mel. Like that was, that was definitely in their rotation. Really? I think that's so interesting to imagine K-Rock playing that. Yeah, it almost feels as arbitrary. Like, why one group and not another? I think some of that early 80s stuff makes a little bit more sense, partly because I'm thinking of just the ways in which, like, the downtown New York music scene of the 80s could be inclusive of, like, Blondie and Grandmaster Melly Mel and, like, you know, whoever else. I mean, there was just so much going on that was part of, like, this kind of no-wave um, scene there that hip hop was was kind of included on in the margins, and I think K Rock might have been influenced by some of that. But again, they were not playing what we would consider mainstream hip hop. You were not going to hear NWA. I could be wrong. I don't think K Rock was 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 playing mm-hmm. NWA. Um, it had to exist in like this alternative uh, right. Category. But De La mapped, and mm-hmm. so because of that, that's how I discovered De La Soul. And wow. you know they they functioned in that moment around the late eighties. They were acceptable to stations that typically didn't play black music and certainly typically didn't play hip-hop. I feel like K-Rock today would play White Lines just because of, um, mm. like, a, I, I just mean it. Um, I mean K-Rock like they were, today is playing Imagine Dragons <laughs> and I nothing else. I guess I'm else. thinking of it as, like, a novelty that they would do it. Like, uh, in a way, like, uh, was that, is it... Shaun of the Dead or is it Hot Fuzz? In one of those uh, movies, they the Edgar do, Wright movies. Yeah, one of those Edgar Wright movies, they do like a whole big White Lines right. thing. And I just think that like kids who like rock, I think that White Lines map, there is something about sure. that song that really feels, I just could see them being like, and now, interesting, a but, crazy you know, throwback, fun. I, I, I don't think you, they would ever you don't, do that. I also no. don't listen to the radio anymore, so maybe. I yeah. And I don't, I don't listen, I, yeah, you know, I don't I listen, listen to K-Rock to anymore these days. Yeah. But I think if you if you spin back to the 80s, you can imagine a song like White Lines fitting perfectly next to something like, um, you know, like Queen's, um, what's the one with the great bass line? Oh, another one. Another by by dust. dust. And it would fit with alongside something like Just Can't Get Enough by Depeche Mode. Mm-hmm. Like they all have very similar production and sounds to it. So I think it made a lot more sense in the 80s. Oh, wow. Honestly, that's a great, that, play those, that's a rock block, baby. There play it is. those three songs in <laughs> yeah. a row. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not the first yeah. person I've ever come up with those three songs and right. com- comboed. And uh, specifically with that Queen bass line. Of course. Uh-huh. Is, is the Nile Rodgers. Of yeah. course. Uh, you yeah. know, Good Times, which then was... In it all Sugar goes back Hill to Sheik, really. Yeah. Yeah. It really all goes back often, to Sheik. Often it does, yeah. we found. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Niall. Yeah. Shout out to Niall. Niall, musical excellence. Yep, he's an inductee. Um, so that's uh, that's interesting. That's the that's your gateway. Was Three Feet High and Rising the first thing you wrote about? No, ever? no, no. I, okay. I, didn't, I didn't start writing about music in any kind of professional. I used that with scare quotes until <laughs> I think probably around... 1995 is when I first started writing about music for outlets. Though I was writing about music, this is pre-World Wide Web, but it's um, after the internet had been kind of introduced, at least on college campuses, I discovered um, news groups. And so 
uh, and there used to be two major hip hop oriented ones, uh, alt dot rap and rec dot music yes. uh, dash hip hop. I think I, if I have it right, uh-huh. and that's where I first started reviewing albums was just writing on these news groups about my impressions about different stuff that I mean and then you got to remember this is all during the early 90s so even though we may we may not have been calling it the golden era it was definitely like a really good era to be writing about new hip hop mm-hmm. releases I got a lot of stuff wrong in that era like I called Illmatic I think slightly overrated which is <laughs> oh, an wow. opinion I have completely yeah. like retreated upon these days good but um but I realized in hindsight that even before I started getting paid to write about music writing about music for news groups is where I first started writing for a public audience of any sort. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, even though I have a whole life pre-internet as a 70s kid, I still got my start writing because of the internet. Oh, wow. How quaint. I think yes, isn't it though? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's really interesting to think too that I bet people would like, you know, log on or, you know, sign, uh, dial up to... Uh, to like read what you had to say about a thing, you I, yeah, know what I mean? You get, right. you could get. It's like Twitter. It's like you could get these niche followings, totally, you know, right? Kind of in these interesting ways. Um, Nas is he? Uh, but you eligible? know the answer to oh, um, eligible. I, I know eligible? that he's not in. I, I good God, like, Joe Nas really in? gave I me. I know that he's not in. I was at. Is he eligible? Um, I don't know when Nas's first release was. Ninety. Well, is it first album release? It's first. Yes. Uh, no, it's first record. Like okay. it could be. It's, often it's a single that makes someone eligible. Okay, so then that would probably be halftime off the Zebrahead soundtrack, and that would have been either ninety two or ninety three. So he became eligible recently. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't. Th- I, I. I. This. I was just thinking, like, well, when is that? What's the like? When's yeah. the nausea going to happen? Yeah, I the- feel like. W- just thinking about people who kind of had like these really iconic influential albums too, like in the Lauren Hill vein where I'm oh, just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. My, uh, um, my exposure to De La Soul comes as always From through an ex-boyfriend. A uh, lot of my musical, uh, like knowledge, knowledge and exposure has happened through shout different. Out, shout men out to all the exes life. who yeah. put us up on stuff. Shout out, <laughs> shout out, Joran Gargello. Uh, and he was the one who I mentioned this in the tribe because he was also very into tribe. Uh, uh, he and Del the Funky Homo Sapien, yeah. who mm-hmm. Joe 100% did not believe was a real person, and now we know is the guy from fucking Gorillas. So, uh, what are you gonna do? Uh, but yeah, we. I remember get, getting it like he would make these mixes for like road trips and stuff. Mm. Um, so and and then he gave me a bunch of like I feel like we were making each other mix CDs probably at this point, and he gave me. A bunch of of De La, but I've never I don't know much about them. I know like the iconic songs. I and I know like I can recognize a De La Soul song and I've listened to a few of their albums through and they're one of the I like have a love hate relationship with what they did by introducing skits into <laughs> hip hop culture you I could argue they're hate, responsible i like hate skits on albums i like hate that oh. hate with my whole heart and soul wow yeah i know exactly so but are you I, not a comedian but I, that's exactly why oh, okay. I hate skits because rappers are not comedians it's like what <laughs> a rapper's attitude it. it would be like a rapper's <laughs> attitude it'd be like of if a comedian in between my things i was like and now let me lay some bars like absolutely <laughs> right. not like there's some no. comedians who do that but 
I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. with you. Donald Glover is the only one who can do it. I'm with you to a large extent, which is to say that I do think that there is a proliferation of really bad skits out yes. there. But I think like I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater to say that there are some good skits and I'm here for those good skits. What even do you though, think is a good skit? And if you say a $20 sack pyramid, <laughs> that is like the skit that people try to tell me is the best skit of all time. It's it's an okay skit. I'm not I'm not mad at that one. Mm. Um, I think the uh, uh, Where's My Killer Tape skit from the first Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang. album. That's, is, people really say good. that the Wu-Tang are like, okay, the people who I think can get away with skits in some way are... De La Soul because they do it as a concept generally, yes. which I think mm-hmm. is very cool. I like it. And then Kendrick, um, like Good Kid, Mad City, like that was like a concept. Like yeah. you're learning a story yeah. through the skits. Yeah. I, I still hate them. I mean, if I never had to hear <laughs> another voicemail from somebody. Or I'm, like, just I'm like 85% with you. Or like a rapper and a comedian. Just like. I talk about this all the time just like fucking it'll like a song will end and then they'll be like here's two minutes of us talking misogynist shit and I'm like you ruined it why did you do this to me like why why you gotta get Jamie Foxx on your album Kanye <laughs> to just fucking make a prank phone call and call some girl ugly like I hate this I feel you <laughs> you are making me so mad so that, I, that my feelings about De La are like they are to blame for the fact that this has proliferated because they did it they well it. Yeah. and they started yeah. it yeah. Mm-hmm. they did a cool thing what they yeah. did was cool and like the concept of it being like a radio station is cool and you're like seeing the characters that you're meeting in these songs you're like learning their story it makes it a whole experience Mm -hmm. and that also is really cool when it comes to like an album experience people were listening to albums and like that is really like that's what i think about too with like good kid mad city which is like an album it is telling you a story it's like or to um to pimp a butterfly it's like an album it's telling you a story the skits matter in general quit it at <laughs> least make them a separate fucking track well, I, oh, i'm with you on that just make give me give me the way that i can skip track. i can yes, skip exactly past it. if you don't I, want it right. you can easily oh my yeah, get God, rid of it gonna, i'm right. like this song is six and a half minutes long it's like no it's three minutes of two dudes giggling at how fucking hilarious <laughs> they think they are in a studio stop it Wow, and there you have it, a monologue from Kristen Sutter. Uh, I, skits, uh, to be reconsidered. Skits, get them out of here. Scram. Uh, well, skits. you know, one, one of the things that makes talking about music, but also the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame specifically difficult, is that obviously music is subjective. It's hard to categorize these things in an objective way. But in, in an attempt to do that thing that I just said was impossible, <laughs> I put together a list of criteria that I think if an artist does well in these uh, categories that they have a case for induction. All right. So we're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to see how De La Soul stacks up. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a nice break. I hope over your break uh, you remembered an old friend or some shit. Okay. So the with De La Soul, uh, they became eligible for the 2014 ceremony, uh, and they have no hall connections that I see. I don't believe they inducted or have shown up or anything like that. Uh they so let's go through these categories, shall we? With De La Soul, the first category is uh, critical acclaim. 
I would call De La Soul critical darlings. I think if you kind of look at the publications that De La Soul has been in, oh sure, they uh, they've done extremely well. Uh, you know, whether it's The Village Voice or it's Rolling Stone or what have you, uh, this is a group that critics could. Uh, re- I don't know about relate to, but they're uh, they're a group that critics could really oh yeah appreciate totally. I guess is the word yes. yeah. Uh, and the kind of the rubric we use to uh, determine just how well a uh, group is critically adored, we use the Rolling Stone 500 list. Ugh. Uh, 500 greatest albums and I'm, I should acknowledge you have to acknowledge it Joe that we did we had recorded some of this already I'm like, <laughs> and you we are barreling through but we are re, we are re-recording some of this uh, so I've already made Kristen guess maybe one of the more unbelievable things probably on our podcast yeah. has been lost which is that I had Kristen guess where De La Soul was on the 500 list and she I believe you said three. I said three forty one. I said I think three feet and rising is on it because I know that Rolling Stone likes they that makes them feel good about themselves to put that song on. <laughs> I, it makes that them feel good album. about themselves to yeah. put that album on the on the list. Right. And I but said not too high. I think it's going to be around three forty. <laughs> I said three forty one yeah. was my guess. And then Oliver said, "I said I probably would have put it somewhere in the three hundreds as well." And it's three forty six, which was amazing. Which is really right. yeah. Everyone cheered. We uh, popped champagne. Honestly, fireworks went off. Yeah, and that might be what lost us the footage. <laughs> yeah, we we flew too close <laughs> to the sun. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Right. Uh, yeah, but so that album is, I would say, definitively a classic one. It's on every single list of the you know right. greatest albums. Whatever you want to, however you want to do that. Uh, however you want to judge the classicness of an album, Three Feet High and Rising across the board is going to be uh, considered in that regard. Uh, And we've, you know, if we have to determine why Three Feet High and Rising is so critically adored, it's likely the, both the inventiveness of the lyrically and production-wise. Well, and something that Oliver had said the last time was basically, too, that these that they were being quirky and weird and interesting and the fact that it wasn't just you know I'm the greatest rapper alive and here's how and why and here's why everyone who tries to step to me is a sucker this is this is more like here's uh, and Mm -hmm. like the flow was very interesting it was more intricate flow yeah and the sampling to the if you want to speak to that Oliver like at that time this album coming out what that kind of meant in the context of hip-hop yeah I mean I think the biggest intervention that that De La provided, it wasn't simply just the kind of creative energy that went into all the quirkiness of the album, which is certainly a big part of it, but it's also that if you looked at the landscape of what hip-hop was like circa 1988-89 leading up to the release of the album, you know, it's dominated by these larger-than-life superhero MC figures, your LL Cool J's, your Kumol D's, your KRS-1's, Chuck D, um, Rakim, etc., and De La was not like any of those other guys. They were not, um, you know, and I say, I mean posturing in a, in a positive way here. They were not posturing in terms of being these superhero bulletproof MCs um, that were, you know, godlike figures. These were like nebbish, nerdy guys from Long Island. Like they'd even come from like a cool borough like Queens or, mm-hmm. or, or the Bronx or Brooklyn. They're coming from Long Island and, you know, they, they have a very famous lyric about how Black medallions, no gold. So they're not rocking chains. They're not 
they're not appearing in music videos driving up in in you know Mercedes Benz or BMWs they were like these kind of weird dudes who reveled in being weird and being different and i think as a result of that the biggest you know the contribution that they made to hip hop of that era besides kind of whatever lyrical and, and musical um, innovations they came up with is they demonstrated that hip hop could be something different than what we were used to and i think from a 2019 perspective where hip hop can mean a thousand different things mm-hmm. that means that means seem unremarkable but back in 1989 right spinning back 20 years that was that it, it's it's hard to overstate how important it was for everyone else in hip hop or were interested in hip hop to realize oh hip hop can be something different than like what we see from LL Cool J or Big Daddy Kane. Hip hop can be weird, it can be different, it can be creative. It can go in all these other directions. And I think more so than really any other group of their era, De La transformed what we knew of what was possible from hip hop. And I think for no other reason this is what makes them such an important group. Mm-hmm. In addition to the fact that, you know, we can get into this in a moment too, what they were doing musically in terms of sampling culture they expanded way beyond the James Brown and the Parliament Funkadelic catalog, even though, me, you know, me, myself, me, myself and I, I was from a B-Punk song. Yeah. But, I mean, they were sampling from Johnny Cash, from Schoolhouse Rock, from obscure 1960s doo-wop groups, from Hall & Oates, um, from the Turtles, which ended up being a bad thing because the Turtles <laughs> sued them and that kind of messed up sampling culture for ever after that but in any case they were really really broadening the scope of like what was possible in so many different levels i think for all of these reasons this is what sort of makes three feet high and rising in dela in that moment so important even though i would argue that actually i think de La soul is dead is the is the more interesting album we can get into that later mm-hmm. if we want to. do you think that people um do you think that uh three feet high being the one that is maybe more uh critically lauded or like that appears on this list is just because it, it just like precedent setting yeah. kind of okay yeah and you know it's i think it's much easier for first albums to kind of get that recognition mm-hmm. um you know it's much harder i think for second or third albums to mirror the same way although i do feel like if there's a beastie boys album on the thing it is probably paul's boutique and ahead not, of uh, licensed not licensed yeah they're both Ill. they're both on there but paul's they boutique are? is is the one Ooh, that... can i guess where they oh, are yeah, okay sure. let's see because we I yeah, real, you, okay. you're on a roll yeah, let's, let's, let's a real, double down let's double down yes. i think paul's boutique is gonna be like oh boy okay ooh, i'm i think either like 112 or 180 okay um and uh, I think and License to Ill is also on there. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I think License to Ill is going to be like 275. Okay. So I would say pretty solid. Uh, if you kind of split the difference of the, the your two guesses. Oh, with, is it in the 150s? It's 156. Yeah. So yeah, I mean yeah. like you, you kind of... <laughs> that's... <laughs> She's on a you, roll. You had two numbers in there and <laughs> yeah. you just had to kind of combine them, find the average. Uh-huh. And then License to Ill is at 219. I'm, See now that just seems too high to me. Yeah, license that, to ill should that not doesn't be, need to be that high. License really to ill honestly doesn't need to be on there, in my opinion. I think it's a good album, but like I think as for what it does, as far as like innovation is concerned, right. it's like been, well, it's almost like you you split the things that Oliver was talking about, which is that like because three feet high and rising has the inventiveness that Paul's boutique has, but. License to Hill Ill has the debut. Uh, License to Hill is actually Hillary Clinton's yes. new. Uh, <laughs> right, she has transitioned, transitioned. careers. Uh, uh, but License to Ill has that debut quality that right. is important. Sure, so it's, yeah, sure. That's how I would 
characterize that. And we should mention that the Turtles controversy is really too bad because uh, it, it fucked uh, a lot of shit up for sampling. Yeah. And especially for a pretty throwaway sample. Which right. It appears on Transmitting Live to Mars on the Three Feet High and Rising album, which is effectively like an instrumental skit. Like they could have easily just left it off and it really would not have changed the album. Mm -hmm. Yep. They just, karmically they paid for having introduced yeah, skits, skits to yeah, right. the rap the albums and uh you know sorry you get what you deserve Ouch. sometimes Ouch. they uh yeah it, and they have said like we easily could have changed that it would not right. have really changed much in that non-song track and it could have saved a lot of trouble i will say this much though sampling because it was so ill-defined in terms of existing copyright law it was going to come to a head with yes. something yes of course Especially if it wasn't if, this it was going yeah. to be something else it kind of sucks that it was for this because um you know three feet three feet high and rising and then i forget how many of those early de La albums amazingly are not on any streaming service and it's because of sample clearance problems and this is something that they as a group have have talked very publicly about because tommy boy records which released those albums and which still has i think the controlling interest in them will not go through what needs to be done in order to make those albums available through your itunes and your spotify's or whatever else and it's pretty wild to realize that an album of the stature of three feet behind rising a bestseller critically acclaimed you can't find it anywhere. No. Not legally, at least. So right. with this like sample clearance stuff, is it then, so you have to get these samples cleared, but then do they also, do you have to pay for every sample? Do they get a, a piece of the royalty? How it depends it? on how that gets Generally, negotiated. Okay. Right. Usually yeah. you want to license it so you don't, yeah, you don't, so you don't no, to, no backend stuff. Yeah. But certain artists have been able to get sort of that concession. Usually if you forgot to clear it on the front end, as then, a back end penalty, ooh, baby, you got to give up. Paying. You got to give up points. Yeah, and I've got okay. to imagine the uh, extent with which you use the track must have something to do with that. It does, but it's. I mean, be, again, the copyright law on this is really, really ill defined. So it's really up to the negotiation. So I mean, again, with the turtles, it was maybe half a bar. It's not like they're sampling like half the song. Mm -hmm. and, and you yet, you, you might not even if you know that song, you might not even recognize that sample right. within it. Exactly. So the I length think, which of is it, what they were banking on, right, right. It's really up to a jury or a judge to decide, and that's this is part of the kind of the, the kind of dangerous variances that have existed around copyright and sampling, mm -hmm. which we have yet to resolve, even though it's been like twenty plus years now. So there isn't like a standard way to resolve no, it anymore. Oh, not really. Yet, uh, I mean, there's there's court precedent, but that's not like yeah. copyright law has not officially stated. Okay, X amount Here of time. Here is how you do this. No, oh. they, they won't. They won't touch it, or right. they haven't at least. Uh, so yeah, I definitively the classic album is Three Feet High and Rising, but then you could make a case for the the ones that come after that. Yeah, uh, De La Soul is Dead, which is an interesting one because of the kind of reinvention aspect right. of it. And I don't think any rap artist had done. I mean, there are rap artists who have made albums that are different from the ones that preceded it, but up until that point, I don't think any artist had basically said. We're going to reinvent ourselves by metaphorically killing off what everyone liked about our previous iteration. Yeah, for our second album, too. This yeah, isn't right. like, you know, well, we've made five we, albums of this kind right, of, for you a know. Change. Like, right. This is like, you. oh, you all loved our debut? Great. That's dead. Like, literally, we're saying done. De La Soul is dead. We're going to kill ourselves because we hate how everyone called us hippies, and we're going to reinvent ourselves. And I thought that was... An incredible move. I mean, you know, 20 years later, it's still, or plus years later, that still seems like an incredible thing for them to have done because you're basically giving up 
in a sense, everything symbolically that people loved about you to begin with, and you're basically saying, fuck that. Now, is like, the sound of De La Soul is Dead markedly different? Not than, really. Yeah. So it wasn't like a complete so it like reinvention. A, it was like a, But it was know, more like a rhetorically. It was, yeah, yeah, it was a rhetorical, a rhetorical reinvention. Because they were death. upset with, like you said, being called hippies. Right. They uh, And it was mostly because, I think, there were flowers on the album cover. Right, and they had the whole thing about the Daisy Age, which was an acronym. And so, I mean, it's not... It's not crazy to understand why people labeled them as hippies, but it was definitely not a label. Yeah. They and listening embraced. to their music, it is pretty laid back. Mm-hmm. It's a chill vibe music. And can feel good, right? Yeah. yeah. And it has like that kind of like, yeah, very yeah. whimsical feel to, to it. To me, it feels very California. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I was, I, I, you know, like. It, I, could, I could see that. It feels sure. it's got like a, more of a West Coast right, vibe. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's sunnier, maybe, yeah. you could say. Yeah, Long the, Island has beaches. so you know, The sun, ah, the sun true, shines true, on true, Long true. Island. There you go. <laughs> For sure. Just the same. Uh, kind of connected to that streaming thing. I So the next category is iconic, recognizable songs. And obviously, I would say Me, Myself, and I is the big one. That's the one that everyone knows. Yeah, that's, which is a song they don't even like. They'll play oh, they'll it in shows, it. but they'll, they'll say, we hate this song, but y'all love this song, and then they'll play the song. Yeah, fan service right. at yeah. that point. Uh, but that's the only song you're really going to hear on the radio. That's the song that's going to be on the soundtrack of you know a comedy that's right. out in 2019. Right. Uh, but then <laughs> beyond that, it's... it's uh, And I tried to, with the streaming thing, I was like, oh, let's see what their top Spotify songs yeah, are. Then you look, and you're like, these are all from recent right, albums. Cause, yeah, because yeah, none of those... Oh, you cannot stream either of those first two albums? No. And maybe the first, first four three or, or something. Maybe yeah. four God, that's like yeah. all of their kind of iconic. Yeah, for sure. Right. And it's because of that that clearance thing. Wow. Uh, I guess I should have kept those mix CDs that Joran made. There you me. go. <laughs> but but Oliver, what would you say are then? You know, obviously there's that me myself and I top yeah. tier. What what would you say then beyond that? I think say no go, which is the song that uses um, the hollow notes. <laughs> I would put I Know up there, but that's just a personal favorite. That's a song that uses a combination of the Mad Lads and I think more better known as Stilly Dance Peg is, is on there. I know this, but not because of all my earthly treasures or regardless to the fact that I'm possibly loose, but because... That was a song off of Three Feet when I first heard that album on my first time listening through. That was the moment, the song. I'm like, all right, whatever else I listened to, I just wanted to sound like this. So I know for me, I don't think it would make most people's like maybe top 10 list of, of De La Soul songs, but it'd be my number one for sentimental reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Stakes is High, the title track from Stakes is High, that probably might make it on there. That's why the Native Tongues has officially been reinstated. Um, Saturdays. Saturday. Oh, yeah. Roller yeah. skate name, jam named Saturday. I think it's like one of their, like just an all time great hip hop party song. One whole day to 
is a roller skate jam. It really is. It is. Yeah. That's a. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to go in an oval. Do you yeah. want to skate in an Strap oval? Strap them today? on and go in that oval. You as get the saying goes, oval, baby. Uh, next one. category is commercial success, which uh, they you did know, okay. Did fine. You know, yeah. sold five million records, which you know, in comparison to some of the artists we've talked about, is quite a bit. Uh, we just did the Carpenters, which was ninety million. So you know, not so much. But they're also, you know, they're in right. the top uh, of all time. Right. Right. Yeah. Five million, especially for an artist, artists that are maybe a little more inventive and challenging and artistically credible to sell five million records. That's uh, that's something. I mean, I know Three Feet High went gold. Did it they actually platinum. go? It went platinum. Eventually. It went platinum. That's yeah. impressive. Okay. For sure. Okay. Yeah, and then De La Soul is Dead went gold, and it okay. was diminishing kind of after that. Right, right. Also, now I'm going to think about skits for a second. Just I'm going to just, just have, gonna a, gonna have a little muse for a heartbeat. Yeah. But like thinking about two kind of album culture and tape culture and thinking about how much the medium affects the music mm-hmm. and like something about like having skits and having them like as part of the track is very tape culture to me. Like, you know, because you're not, it, it, there's, it's not like on a CD where right. you're skipping around. Right. You it's, it's a linear listening, listening you're, experience. You're, it's a linear right. listening experience much in the way that an album is, but yes. to me even more so because you cannot it's a pain. stop on a stupid song. <laughs> you're just right. like, fuck, all right. You know, you just are going to listen to songs you don't even like. You're going to listen to <laughs> I will say this much. I think for those of us who grew up listening to cassettes, we got very good at kind of being able to figure out how many seconds on the fast forward was necessary to move you in terms of minutes within yes. a song. And based on your own, you know, cassette player. Right. I mean, I remember I had a Walkman as a child, and but I remember being like, I would get singles for that reason because yes. I was like, Cassingles. I don't want to listen to anything word. I don't want to listen yeah. to. I want to listen to Everybody, Everybody by Black Box, and then I want to listen to the remix on the other right. side. Oh, my God. You need, you need that auto-reverse function on the on Oh, the, yeah, uh, the one that would player. make it flip over? Yeah, I so had it. Yeah, so you didn't have to pop that out. I yeah. had it. Uh, next, 92 Dodge Shadow. What's up? <laughs> oh, my God. That was my first car. Uh, next category is longevity. Uh, in the phrase we're, we're starting to use now is imperial phase. Oh, yes. Which is coined by, you know. Chris Melanfi from Hit Parade. Yeah, um, yeah. it's his turn. Yeah, shout out to Chris. Uh, great term. Uh, so they're kind of imperial phase, eighty nine to ninety six, which is three feet high and rising until about their fourth album. Right, the first for the first four albums. Though that's kind of the right. where they're uh, on top. Even though the two thousand album Artificial Intelligence Mosaic Thump seemed to do pretty well, right. charted it in the top ten uh, albums, which was the first time that that happened for them. Right. Uh, so not too bad, about seven years or so, and they're still around, still putting stuff out, still you know doing crowdfunding their albums, Kickstarters, yeah, yeah, that uh, is wild to me. Yeah, that they did a Kickstarter, and you know they obviously got, I think they it was six times what they were asking for to make an album that ended up being fine, right? Yeah, fine to not great. I mean, I love De La, did not love that album, but yeah, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, did Garden State two ever get made? <laughs> Yeah, it was. What was it called? That was crowdfunded as well. Is yeah, that, is that, that was like the but big was it, one. Was it a real? Was, like was it an actual Kraft. sequel? It no, was no, no, just, no, no, no. Yeah. It was like called "When You See Me" or something. Right. What? It was called like "Wish I Was Here" or yeah. some okay. title like that. That was like. Did it come out? I've not I think thought so. of Zach Braff in years. Like, what is that dude doing these days? He had a show on television that was, my friend was on. That's why. Okay. I had, oh, he had, he had a podcasting had show. Season. Yeah, about a podcast that I love. He had, but that the, sounds the very show was not good. Right. It did not seem to be good. 
No. Um, but it was from one of my... It was based on I those. think we need we need a BRAF renaissance soon. No, I don't that know. Honestly, we don't. You can stay in your corner. Honestly, with that. Yeah, honestly, we don't. We oh. don't. He can... I mean, he can Ouch. do whatever if he wants to, but like, with... what the world needs now is not the renaissance of Zach Braff. Like, <laughs> you could come up with a good word for Whoever the woman was it. on that show, maybe. Like, if you could get a Makanasance, but if you could do it for Braff. That's or like the way we're having a, a Keanu-sance right now, too, big right. time. Yeah. Are you here for that, though? Yeah. Oh, who isn't? Come on. He's America's sweetheart right now. Everybody loves Keanu. Uh, (laughs) The next category is innovation influence, which we've talked about, you know, where... The whole nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. super innovative, super influential uh, kind of across the board, Uh, especially within, I think that can't be stressed enough, within the genre of hip hop right. uh, at at the top you know up up there with the nearly any other group you could think of um, among the most innovative and influential i would say absolutely yes straight lines straight lines from de la to kanye as far as like production oh, and sure. content are concerned right. and kind of to everything that we think of as like I don't know. I think of what we think of as like interesting hip hop. You know, they they took hip hop and and made critics think of it more as art. Right. I think really one of the first really important hip hop concept albums. And so whether I don't think, you know, if you were to interview Kendrick, I don't think he would say, oh, I came up with Good Kid Mad City because I was listening to Daylight. I'm almost positive he wouldn't say that. But I think you can draw basically a kind of informal lineage between that album and something or really to to Pimp a Butterfly would be Mm -hmm. an even better example. And then trace that back to something like Three Feet High as, as pioneering a particular way of thinking about how to do a hip hop album that's not just about a bunch of singles, but really about like listening to it as an album as mm-hmm. a whole. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been coined uh, the Sergeant Peppers of hip hop. Really, seen, I've seen that. Okay, I've read that. Yeah, I can okay. see that. <laughs> Last category, maybe the most important. Does my mom know uh, who they are? My mom doesn't. Uh, my mom does not. Absolutely not. Jackie's a no on that one. And so that's that's maybe what makes this uh, a little bit of an uphill climb for for De La because you know that category is meant to represent name recognition, right? And you don't, especially recently in uh, the classes that we've seen of inductees, you don't see too many artists that don't have that kind of name recognition. Although I think it could happen. Why don't we get to the verdict? Should De La Soul be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will they? And if so, when? And we'll start with Kristen. I think they should. I think they will, but it's going to be one of those ones. It'll be like the zombies almost. Not like in the exact sense that like the zombies were as influential as De La Soul was, but in the like, in the sense whoa, it's take some it time. took 30 years. Like, do you um, think it's going to take thirty years? I do. I. I mean, I. I just. I mean, maybe not thirty. But I think what you were saying about them being in the top fifteen or twenty. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take ten years, fifteen least, yeah. maybe. I think we're looking at ten to fifteen years, uh, okay. just because the way the thing works, you know. And I think we've got other people that are more known to the voting body that are going to make the case, e- uh, even within the genre. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right, Oliver, what do you think? Should well, Obviously, yes, I think they should. Mm-hmm. That's um, why you're here. Yes, I think they will, but I, I'm not able to handicap how long it will take because I don't understand sort of the, that system nearly as <laughs> the, well as the, the two of you do. Yeah. Um, I think I would like to hope that it would be sooner than, let's say, you know, 10 years into their eligibility. Um, I think if they make it onto a nominations ballot, I would actually 
think that the, their odds are actually pretty good if they can make it to that point. Um, think of Shaka. Think of poor Shaka. Think of how many times she's been nominated. Or LL. I or mean. LL. Yeah, or, but I th- well, I actually I can't really explain the Rufus and Shaka Khan like exclusion because that does seem very odd, especially given the history of Rufus as a band within the world of rock before they made the turn towards soul and funk. But I think De La, because they are, they were really always far more of a set of critical darlings than they were commercial darlings. And I think mm-hmm. for that reason, it kind of gives them added credibility. But on the flip side, maybe it is also kind of a generational thing in terms of well, who's voting, you know, for them, you know, within the voting body. And the word fame sometimes gets bandied about. You know, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. do you? But they're not super famous. obscure. They're yeah, not. They but they're, they're not. not they're right. not obscure right. uh, to many, but yeah. to many they are. You yeah, and you have you have to think about who's voting, right? It's members of the Moody Blues who are in their seventies. <laughs> do they care or know about De La Soul? I don't know. I don't know. But I kind of feel like if they did know anything about him, it would be a positive association. You'd think. But there's, I mean, I, I think it was last year during the, when the ballots were out, someone from the Hollies was like, I don't know anybody on this ballot except for the zombies. That's all I'm voting for. And I was like, this is great. This needs to, these are the people who need to be voting for this thing. <laughs> um, Joe? Yeah, my verdict think? is I think they should and I think they will. Like I said, I think they're going to be in the first 15 acts yes, of hip-hop to right. be inducted. But I don't think we're going to get a hip-hop act every year necessarily. And, you know, it's so I think it's going to be more than 10 years, unfortunately. 10 to 15, I think, is where I would put it. Because I think once we get through that first, like the, like I said, the icons, like Biggie and Jay-Z and Eminem, uh, I think De La, along with Tribe and, and Wu-Tang and Snoop, I think they're going to be in the conversation. Can I turn the tables for a moment? Could you? Ooh. Do you think that there will one day be a hip-hop hall of fame? I definitely do. And will have the same stature relative to the community in which it represents? I think it's hard to create those things now. I think one of the reasons why the Rock Hall endures is it's been around for a long time. And I think without trying to do that now in a more cynical culture is hard to do. Uh, to establish this is going to be a Hall of Fame. Everyone's going to shit on it on Twitter. <laughs> like Everyone <laughs> is going to be uh, pretty right. cynical about it. So I think it's hard to do. There was a thing called the Hip Hop Honors yeah. on VH1, which yeah. is kind of close to that. They right. don't do that anymore, mm. I don't think. I could, they could bring it VH1 back. Because VH1 does. Like, does it exist anymore? What's going on I mean, on they VH1? did it as recently as 2017. Really? So, but you know, does that mean but it's the over? Honors, I guess. Think I think of that as different than a hall. I think that they will create some sort of thing. I think we're looking at it though. Twenty years from now, when mm. then, when it's been around long enough and like known long enough, I talk about this all the time on the show about how I think that hip hop is counterculture now. It is rock and roll. It is rock and roll. What rock and roll used to represent is what hip hop right. represents right now, which is the music that scares your parents. Right. Like that is what it is. And that is, so I think, you know, years from now, it'll be like, we'll be looking back on the eighties, nineties, and it'll be the, you know, fifties, sixties of, you know, it's also possible that the rock hall will evolve to a point where we are inducting more than one hip hop act in a year where that just is the inevitability. But then do you think that there will ever come a time that they would rebrand? No, I think you can still call it rock and roll because it's the right. kind of spirit of rock. It's the attitude of, of rock. Although, you know... The, was that the Ice Cube speech? Yeah, that hip-hop is an attitude. 
And that's what he said, kind of directly to Gene Simmons, in a sense, because Gene Simmons loves to come out of the woodwork and talk about how hip-hop doesn't belong in the hall. Uh, all right, let's say they get in, though. Okay. De La Soul is getting inducted. Who gives the speech to induct De La Soul? Mm. I think my thought is an, an artist that they kind of broke who uh, feels to me like he was created in a lab to give a Hall of Fame induction speech, which is common. Oh. That's a good call. That he seems like someone call. the people who run the Rock Hall would already know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, would would uh, have his number, and he would do it. If I mean, I think that's a good call. I would say, I think Chuck D is a distinct possibility as someone mm-hmm. else who is from Long Island. I mean, would have known those guys coming up. And he obviously he, has a certain stature. And he has shown up, and you know, he inducted the Beastie Boys. Uh, oh yeah, he has been inducted himself. Yeah, he's he play he plays the game with the Hall. I think well, Mos Def, uh, given his connection to the group, and yeah. his stated influence. But I uh, guess I wonder if that is a big enough of a get for the Hall. Yeah, I think he would maybe give the most passionate speech. I don't know, just because what he has said about how he's been influenced by them. Right, right. And, uh, and, I mean, there's a lot of people in that native tongues circle, Queen Latifah, Q-Tip, uh, you know. Any of those people, obviously, you know, the Kanye or Kendrick, too, if you could get them. They should get someone from the Turtles. That'd be amazing. That's what oh I was my thinking. Gosh. <laughs> what, if, what if it happens that they get inducted with the Turtles? Same oh, year. my God. Wait, the Turtles are not in? They're not in, no. Wow. What did well, that's the, karma what too. Did Fuck the Turtles do? Happy Together. Oh, okay. And you anything else? And then, yeah. Oh, yeah. You. Uh, Eleanor. They had some jams. They had some stuff. King, yeah. King right. Kamehameha. Big drum break got sampled a lot too. They probably sued people over that. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, good good guys. Um, <laughs> De La Soul gets inducted. What what's a good three or four song set that they play at the ceremony? They play side one. Uh, they do all the skits. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think obviously me, me myself and I they have to play. Do they though? I don't know. How does that work? Like, how do bands strategize what they play? So I I think of it. Joe has a theory. Usually, we don't know truly. <laughs> no, I mean like it's up to them. I think the hall makes some strong suggestions, but I I think typically a group would want to pick from different albums to kind of give an idea of the arc of their career. Right. Right. Not to just because you could have a great set of all stuff from Three Feet High, but you know you would want I think because it's about. It's essentially a lifetime achievement award. You would want to pick from different years from different albums. I think. I mean, and they did a song with Shaka Khan. If they get inducted the same year as her, they do that one. On the baby grand, transmitting like you made a man, but you paint a funny face like a chick. When I see you, I'ma tell you quick that uh. So. I mean, the complication here is I don't think they perform anything off of those early albums until Tommy Boy clears their stuff. So I think as a political gesture, they would they wouldn't they would refuse to play anything off of albums that have not been basically licensed or released for streaming. Oh, interesting. Oh my gosh. Well, do you think because they, they, be they, the they, they can't point, profit though. from it either? Yeah. So what would be the point? Like, there's there's both artistic and political and commercial reasons not to perform any of that early stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe getting inducted is a compelling reason why 
Tommy Boy would finally pony finally up. Finally, do it. Yeah, yeah I because think that's, yeah, this could be it. Right. So Maybe okay, fine. Let's assume crazy. that. Let's assume that's that the, that the event of their induction is worthy right. enough to finally clear. So maybe they do. Maybe they do like me myself. Maybe they do threes. The you know threes the magic number. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe they do ring 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 off of uh, De La Soul is dead. Hey, how you doing? Sorry you can't get through, but what is your name and your number? I'll get back to you. Uh, and maybe they go like deep cut with like I am I be off of the off of the third album off of Balloon Mind State. You know a little something like this. Look, ma, no protection. Now I got a daughter named Ayana Monet. And I can play the cowboy to rustle in the dough. So the scenery is healthy with her eyes late. I am an early bird, but the feathers are black. So the apples that I catch are usually all worms. But it's a must to decipher one's queen from a worm who plays groupie and spread around the bad germ. Yeah. Or you go trip in part two. That'd be kind of hot, too. Big truck, a man's rolling in town. How you do? How you do? I got the chart to make you jump. Because I'm heading eastbound. Tired of the merry-go-round and around. And everybody's talking about your stuff funny, but they're still telling lies to me. I got the trees in my backyard, and it's hard for them to tell a lie. I think that's, that sounds like if they okay. Here's the deal: if De La Soul and I'm, I'm, point, I'm pointing at Oliver in an, an aggressive, aggressive way. Point. Yeah, that's a public enemy uh, point. That is not a De La point. If De La Soul gets inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, would you go to the induction ceremony with us? With us. Keep that. Does that sweeten or soften? <laughs> if that, if that makes it a worse yeah, deal, you can take us worse, out of the equation. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Wouldn't wouldn't that be to find? Because especially because you're kind of skeptical about their odds and you know the hall in general. Yeah. To see that wouldn't that be sweet? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like I'm not binding. opposed. I'm not opposed to the existence huh. of the hall. It, in fact, I mean, my, whatever my feelings are, it actually it has nothing to do with like, the hall as an institution. It has to do with the discourse around the hall. In the same way that are with the Grammys. Well, actually, no, I just kind of think the Grammys as an institution are kind of fucked up. But mm-hmm. like. It's, it's one of those things where when it, when I feel like people care too much about like who gets a Grammy, I'm kind of like who cares who gets a Grammy because why I'm are we giving like a Grammy? Who cares about the Rock Hall? But over here, right? The, the reason I think the Rock Hall has a, has a leg up on the Grammys is that you uh, if you fuck something up with the Grammys, it's fucked up for history. You don't give this album the if you don't give a specific album the award you want to give it, you right. can never you've, give yeah, that right, album. Right. You've missed you've missed the opportunity. The, it, the it hall can passes. always make it up later. There's always hope. Right. right. Like I always say, there's always hope in the rock and roll hall of fame. There you go. Oliver, thank you so much for being a part oh, of this. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate uh, and I want to give you a chance to uh, plug your own shit. Yeah, so I, I co-host a, a music uh, album appreciation podcast called Heat Rocks. Every episode we have a guest on to talk about one of their favorite or most formative albums. Um, we release it every week. You can find that at heatrockspod.com or heatrockspod on Twitter, on Instagram. And much like this show, we I, you know once a week I get to talk about music with smart people, which is super fun. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. one you got you got to talk with dumb people. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. This was a very smart conversation. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, and you've got you. Uh, do you want to plug your your books or anything? You wrote. Uh, oh, you edited a, a, a hip hop guide. I did. I wrote. I, I edited a hip hop album guide called Classic Material: The Hip Hop Album Guide, which came out God like 15, 16 years ago. Um, very. I mean, I, I was able to get some of the my favorite writers to contribute to it. 
Um, it's long out of print, so you find it in your local <laughs> library, maybe. Um, I also wrote an academic book. My day job is I'm a sociology professor. I wrote a book uh, called Legions of Boom, Filipino-American Mobile Dish Hockey Crews of the San Francisco Bay Area, which I'm very proud of, though. Actually, I was going to say, like, m- maybe people wouldn't be interested in it, but why wouldn't you be interested about Filipino-American mobile dish hockey crews of the San Francisco Bay Area? That's I'm interested. Spirit. Someone should make a freaking doc. You know what? People have approached me over the years, and it's one of those things where I think if it was a bigger topic that could get instant funding than it would have already happened. But ah. it's mm-hmm. one of those, like, very labor of love. But it's, it's, it is very, very doc-worthy. I'm just going to – I'm biased, obviously. Yeah. But there's so much there. It's like a, well, it's like a hip-hop about, story like, without, like – that crump that – Crunk doc, the Crump documentary yeah, Rise like I right. feel like that it feels it's similar a very local scene vibe thing. to me right. like about like learning totally. about a local scene and learning mm-hmm. check it out guys Rise it's a uh, good one so we'll see the Crump, crump <laughs> answer got, got to start Tommy the Clown he was at the last Oliver uh, where can we find you online um, so besides like the handles for the, the podcast um, I'm on Twitter at Oliver S. Uh, Wong and uh, and then, and then my, my website, which has been around for ages, uh, soul-sides.com. Incredible. Also, uh, you can find his news group, uh, Rec. Yes. <laughs> you can find slash. archives of me writing about Illmatic uh, stupidly back from in 1994 online somewhere. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at rockhallpod, rockhallpod at gmail.com. Send us a message. If you want Kristen to see it, you're going to have to designate uh, that in the subject line. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Five stars only. If you're leaving a review because of this episode, you should say... Uh, um, it- Dude, say something mean about skits. Yeah, mention, <laughs> mention skits and be mean about it. That's a grand takeaway from it. It's not about De La Soul. It's about yeah. how bad rap skits are. Skits can eat shit. Uh, really can. <laughs> thank you to Mike Boyd for the logo, Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Joe Devine for the equipment. Thank you to Chad Briggs and Dave Schilling for letting us record in the home that I share with them. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. Christian, we're glad you're safe and well. Uh, I'm Joe Kozala. I'm Kristen Stuttered. And who cares about the rock call? Est-il Est-il Quelle heure est-il It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 